I'm Joan Hogan, as Bob said, and I'd like to welcome all of you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Rick Homer, Prairie Doc, is unable to be with us today. I know when people hear that, they think of his health, and believe me, he's having a good time. It has nothing to do with his health. He's, uh, he and his wife are going to be visiting their son down in New Orleans, so they should have a good time. But I'm really happy to welcome Kelly Evans, an internal medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings, to our program today. Thanks for being with us, Kelly. No problem. Good morning, guys. Good morning. And I, I just, I so enjoyed getting to know you. I knew you sort of when you were in high school. Didn't really know you. You waited <laughs> tables out at the country club, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, and before Kelly, medical school. Kelly was a... Um, an outstanding athlete in both the high school and the college, mainly golf, right? Golf was my strongest sport, right. for sure, yeah. I'm just curious to know, what piqued your interest in medicine? Somewhere along there, growing up in Brookings, yeah, medicine got it. that's a great question. I don't have any physicians or healthcare providers, really, in my family, um, as a lot of folks who go into medicine, I think, do. Um, I was always really interested in biology and science and majored in microbiology here at SDSU. Um, thinking maybe I'd work in a lab, go to grad school, that kind of thing, but then found out that I really did not like working in the lab. It was not for me. So <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Th- yeah, yeah. Thus, thus I took a couple years off c- to kind of soul search. I actually waited tables during that time and figured out that I th- med- medical medicine would be a good mix of working directly with people and and science and learning and all that stuff and so that's sort of what led to that decision for me and the rest is history I guess well it is and (laughs) have you what have you found that you well first of all you found that uh, working in a lab wasn't for you Mm -hmm. now that you're in medicine you're an internal medicine physician so you're dealing with an older patient load Mm -hmm. what do you find that's interested you the most or why did you go that direction you know I really found that once I was far enough along in medical school to start working with physicians of different specialties and uh, seeing patients, that part of what brought me joy was really getting to know people and working with them and spending time with them over over years and periods of time. So I knew that I wanted to be in the clinic and, and do a primary care oriented job. And then internal medicine is just, there's a lot of complexity involved. I use my brain every day. I learn something new every day along with my patients. So it's a great fit for what what you what yeah what piques my interest and keeps me going well that's great well we're very happy that you and your husband decided to return to Brookings and uh when you returned you managed to uh uh give birth to twins yeah that that actually happened before we returned there yeah they were five months old when we moved back last year they will be two in January so yep so we've got two girls who are Talking up a storm, learning new words every day, and, and running just about everywhere. as cute as they could be. They I saw them cute. running up at the ball game. The yes, we don't get to watch much basketball when we go to those basketball games. Just we mostly them chase run. them around. Yep. Well, they are, darling. Thank you. Mother of two year old, full time physician. She's got her hands full. We are going to take our first break. We'd love any questions you may have of us or of Kelly. 692 1430. Give us a call, and we'll be back right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joan Hogan, and Dr. Holm is uh, traveling today, so in his stead we have Kelly Evans, who is an internal medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. So happy to have you with us, Kelly. And uh, we've already had one question come in just before the program begins. So if it's all right with you, we'll start with that. Yeah, let's do it. Good. A woman called in, and she has osteoporosis. Her doctor put on prolia? Prolia, yeah. Prolia. 
What do you think about that medication and its side effects? Yeah, so when it comes to osteoporosis, in, in, assuming this person has never had what we call a pathologic fracture, which is most typically a hip fracture or a compression fracture of the vertebrae or spine, really the name of the game is prevention. And so whenever, I think patients really have to make their own choices about starting medications when we're talking about preventing an event in the future, because um, not everybody who has osteoporosis will ultimately have a fracture, um, but you're kind of playing the numbers game. And so I, I'm sure that you had this talk with your physician before the decision was made to put be put on this drug. Um, Prolia is, so there's a, there's a cache of drugs approved for osteoporosis. Um, Prolia is convenient because it essentially means you just have to get an infusion uh, usually every six months and you don't have to think about taking a pill every week uh, which is how a lot of the other osteoporosis drugs are um, when it comes to side effects the things that we certainly need to we always watch out for before starting this drug or other drugs for osteoporosis are dental health if you have any really bad dental issues going on we try to get those fixed beforehand we have to make sure there's normal renal function or kidney function and normal calcium which is a basic lab test if that's all true and and good then prolia is as safe as any of the other uh, osteoporosis drugs that you have to take by mouth um, every week um, common side effects people can get some muscle aches and stuff like that um, but most people tolerate this really well there are as all drugs there are scary side effects written on the drug insert or what what you might read out there those things are quite rare but certainly are worthy of talking to your doctor about so I think the decision is really up to the patient but it depends on severity of osteoporosis and really how, how much it, fracture prevention is important to you and that depends on a lot of factors so when people have osteoporosis is it something that just develops as you get older typically it, it is a disease of aging there are other things that can increase the risk for it smoking increases your risk being female in increases your risk so typically it's postmenopausal females who have this um, but it happens in men too for sure um, and then if you're on chronic prednisone therapy, steroid therapy for some other disease over a long period of time, that's another thing that can increase your risk. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you think of just the over-the-counter glucosamine? Does that help people? Or? So glucosamine is typically marketed for osteoarthritis, um, wear and tear arthritis of the joints. Um, you know, anecdotally or just based on what people say there are some folks out there who say it has worked when when the randomized controlled trials have been done it hasn't really panned out to be more effective than placebo so so it's just up to you if you really believe it's yep. helping fine yep. if not whatever but there you know that brings up the the discussion we could have on supplements in the past few years there is more and more uh, knowledge about supplements, maybe not knowledge, and more and more use of supplements, possibly without knowledge. And these supplements are the over-the-counter things that people can buy to uh, supposedly make them healthier, vitamin D, vitamin E, um, minerals. What do you think of all of these? Well, there are... I would say there are some cases in which we have good evidence that vitamins are helpful. So, for example, it, when it comes to bone health, 
making sure vitamin D levels are adequate in someone who has, for example, osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is sort of the precursor, can be important. And sometimes we do actually recommend people go on vitamin D for that reason. Across the board, if we're talking about sort of supplements and the whole market that has come of, of people trying to sell these supplements, the the verdict is out on the vast majority of these things when it comes to scientific evidence. So So what I typically tell my patients, especially if they've been on stuff for a long time, is, you know the the there's probably not harm in most of these things there are exceptions to that there we certainly have seen people overdose on certain odd supplements but the the harm is probably to your pocketbook and so it's worth next time you see your doctor for your annual physical bring in your supplements have them take a look at that them and and give you some some good advice about it okay something to think about well we are due for our second break we'd appreciate any calls you might have of any questions you have of dr kelly doctor Dr. Evans, Dr. That's Kelly, right. Dr. Evans, and we will be back right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Rock Doc Radio. This is Joan Hogan. With me in the studio today is Dr. Kelly Evans, who is an internal medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. So glad to have you here, Kelly. We've been talking about a couple of different subjects that came up, but I know tomorrow night you are also going to host for Dr. Hol- in Dr. Yes. Holmes' absence the uh, um, on call with the Prairie Doc. Mm-hmm. And on call with the Prairie Doc tomorrow night already has its subject matter set, infectious diseases, common and unusual. Yeah. So that should be interesting. Yeah, I think this is this is one of, to me, more the most fascinating area of medicine. And, and I just love learning about and talking about infectious disease. Our knowledge is always changing. So we've got two experts from the area coming, Dr. Nazir and Dr. Chatterjee, and I think it's going to be a really fantastic show. There's just a ton that we could talk about, so we hope that folks will tune in and call us with questions. And that's on South Dakota Public Television, Thursday nights at 7. I'm sure you're going to mention the flu shot tomorrow night. Everybody in favor of it? (laughs) Yes. You'll find a general consensus in favor of the flu shot now we i think we all have to admit that our flu shot is not always perfect last year for example the what we call the efficacy of the flu shot in in preventing the flu that ended up emerging as predominant was not great um and and so there is a guesswork that goes along with developing this flu vaccine every year because the flu is a really unique virus. It changes over time and that's just part of its biology and so we never know exactly what's going to emerge at the height of the flu season. Uh, that being said, you know, last year was a pretty mild flu season. We've had a re- we've had bad flu seasons in the pretty recent past. When I was a resident in 2013-2014, there was an H1N1 strain that Um, broke out and was making relatively young, healthy people very, very sick on the ventilator in the ICU. And um, in my experience, the patients that I took care of that were that sick across the board had not been immunized that year. So um, I highly recommend for folks to get their flu shot. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. A lot of folks kind of have their mind made up that they just don't ever get the flu shot. But I, I think you do that at your own risk. And the risk of people around you, too. Yeah. As Dr. Holm likes to call it the herd, men, herd yeah. mentality, or, you know, you, yep. you protect the herd yeah. by getting the flu shot. Exactly. And when it comes to the flu shot, it's, you know, compared to our childhood vaccines, et cetera, one of the least 
well taken up vaccines just because you do have to get it every year. I think South Dakota is actually the leader of the pack when it comes to state rates of immunization. I saw that in a news article recently. I think last year it was something like 52% of folks got immunized, which believe it or not is really high leading um, in the country. So well, that's yeah. really good for mm-hmm. our state. And the other thing to know, if you weren't already aware, just about any place on, in town can give you a flu shot. Yeah. I mean, you can go to your grocery store and Hy-Vee Pharmacy will have them. You go to your mm-hmm. pharmacy, they'll have it. Any clinic in town has the flu shots. Yep. They are available. And if you're a Medicare uh, client, you really are covered. You don't. It doesn't even cost you anything. Be sure to have your Medicare card with you if you're yeah. planning to get the yep. flu Insurance shot. generally it covers this well, and you're right. You can get it at any pharmacy or clinic in town, and a lot of workplaces will even do flu clinics right. for a day, and most of that stuff has probably already gone on at this point in the year. I would think it has, but don't think you've missed out. You can still get yes. them. Yep. You're not out of the shots. Absolutely. Yeah. And we actually, I, I think... We just heard about our first cases of influenza in the city of Brookings over this last week. I think we had a positive test in our clinic and a few positive at the hospital this week. So it's here. When you get a positive, you don't automatically hospitalize them, do you? No, no. Mo- the vast majority of people with the flu, especially healthy people, do fine. And the typical f- course of the flu for those folks might be that you have a few days of fever, myalgia. Some people do get respiratory illness with cough and that sort of thing. You might miss work for a few days, which is the big downside for a lot of our patients. No one wants to use up sick days um, at work. Um, it's the rare patient who gets very sick but it can I think it, the CDC says that every every year an estimated between 10 and 60,000 people do die in our country because Just of influenza in yeah that's a lot of deaths it is it's it a lot could of be deaths. prevented yeah and mo- like I said most years those folks are old frail patients or young or immunocompromised patients but there are years that it, that if the right virus comes up and and we lack Im- good immunity to it that it can be deadly for pretty healthy people too well, it's, you can't say enough words about it. Get that flu shot. So while we're talking about infectious diseases, there is something, a vaccination that has been, oh, in the past 10 years maybe, HPV for uh, young people people, mm-hmm. both men, boys and girls, right? Yes, yes. And what do you think of that inoculation? Yeah, so um, the HPV vaccine, there's a couple formulations now available commercially, but I think it was initially approved only for girls and women um, for prevention of human papillomavirus. And the HPV virus is also the same virus that causes the common wart, which a lot of us are infected with, but it also is the reason that people get the vast majority of cervical cancer, the reason we do pap smears in, in the clinic. Um, and, and so that's kind of how it was marketed was a cancer prevention vaccine, and that's true to some degree. We found Um, over the last decade or two that HPV not only causes cervical cancer, but is also responsible for certain cancers of the head and neck, penile cancer, and can be associated with other cancer just because of the the things it does to the DNA makeup. Um, And so I think at this point, I'm not a pediatrician, so I believe the age of um, that it's approved and recommended starts at either 11 or 12, but most insurances will cover it up to age 26. So I try to get my young people, um, college students, et cetera, if they haven't had it immunized. Um, 
traditionally it's a three shot series but i think now one of one of those formulations if you start at that 11 or 12 you can get away with two shots so talk to your your child's doctor about it or if you fall in that age group talk to your physician about it okay well mm-hmm. thank you well we're due to take our uh next break and uh again if you have any questions of dr evans give us a call at 692-1430 and we'll be back right after these words hey welcome back to prairie doc radio happy to have you listening today our time just seems to be going and we're i've really enjoyed this time with dr evans um she is practicing medicine here in Brookings, and tomorrow night is going to be on South Dakota Public Television hosting Dr. Holmes on call with the Prairie Doc. She'll have two doctors with her, and they're going to be discussing infectious diseases, common and unusual. And, and kind of the history inf- of infectious diseases, I'm curious to know, did they haven't always had inoculations. How did those first come about? Uh, so... I'm not a historian, so someone out there might have to forgive me if I if I flub this up. But the the story sort of goes that the the first inoculations occurred because of smallpox, which killed a lot of people in Europe um, in centuries past. And so there was a similar disease called cowpox that in, uh, infected cows. And so a, a brilliant scientist had the idea to take uh, fluid from the cowpox and inject it into humans, which I don't know who his first subjects were or and and whether they were coerced or just brave and trusting people um but it worked um and so that sort of smallpox was the first disease that gave someone that idea infectious disease is really fascinating because it's it's a huge part of medical history a lot of our medical advances and the reason that our life expectancies have increased over the last couple of centuries are really solely due to what has happened with infectious disease and because as you can imagine infections if untreated can kill young healthy people Um, unlike some of some of the things that i do most days which are uh, more chronic diseases of of other body systems that are somewhat related to aging but um, you know infectious disease as a history includes vaccinations um we've wiped out certain diseases over the years and and made huge advances there vaccinations that includes things like sterilization of the or i mean if you can imagine a couple centuries ago we didn't even know that bacteria existed so when people had procedures and surgeries the subsequent death rate was incredibly high because people were not sterilizing um so it's really fascinating i think tomorrow is going to be a great show because there's just so much to talk about I can still recall when I was a kid and the po- first polio vaccines came out. Mm. That would have been the 1950s. My mother was scared to death. She did not want us to go in. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember almost in tears taking her to the doctor. And the doctor said, you just have to trust me, Mary. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was really frightened. So mm-hmm. I understand that yeah. people can be very fearful because polio was just so rampant in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And to have that inoculation it yeah. saves so many lives. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, can and and so folks of your generation, I could you even imagine that that we have completely wiped that disease out in most of the world. There are pockets of polio in underdeveloped wow. countries still, um, but we haven't ca- seen a case of polio in the U.S. for a long time. That's and wonderful. That's, that's one of the 
it's almost, I hate to say miracle, but when it comes to modern yeah. medicine, I think infectious disease really has the best stories as far as that goes. Well, it's in, it's enriched our life and in, in, in lengthened our lives for sure mm -hmm. because we've had those. Uh, if you have any questions about the inoculations that you can have for yourself or your children, give us a call. We'd be glad to respond to those. Um, another thing that might come up tomorrow night in the, your discussion is anti antibiotics. Mm -hmm. When do you think... Uh, Dr. Holm preaches and preaches on antibiotic overuse. Mm -hmm. He is so opposed to it, and he's not alone in that. Mm -hmm. How do you determine whether to give a person an antibiotic or not? Yeah, well, so first of all, I, the question is, are we certain there is a bacterial infection? So antibiotics, generally what we're talking about is bacterial infections. There's, there's some exceptions there. Um, so, you know, when it comes to certain infections where we're pretty certain that there's a component of that going on, then it's a no-brainer. You know, if someone comes in with a lot of symptoms of painful urination and they clearly have bacteria and white blood cells in their urine, then it's not something we have to think very hard about. The most common scenario we see is for what we call upper respiratory infections. Someone comes in with cold symptoms, sinus infections, those kinds of things, ear pain, that though, all those things. That g gets really murky. And so the problem with those is that I can't necessarily, what we do know, let's back up, what we do know is that the vast majority of those infections are caused by viruses. And so there has really been a push, and appropriately so, over the last 10 years to try to avoid giving antibiotics for the, the vast majority of those infections. The problem is, you know, a handful of those are caused by bacteria, or there's a component of bacterial infection, but I can't look at the, a patient and know that. There's know. no way to do a test to know that, generally speaking. Um, so we try to use clinical criteria in the case of sinus infections, for example, um, we have a set of guidelines that actually recommends a time uh limit on symptoms. So since we know the vast majority of those infections are viral, we try not to give people antibiotics, for example, in the first 10 days of infection even. And, and then we feel like we weed out enough. There's nothing magical about 10 days. Does everyone who has symptoms for 10 days have a bacterial infection? No. But th at least we probably eliminate 90 plus percent of the antibiotics we're giving because people are getting better so they yes course, exactly they realize, but if they don't get better and then they come in and you give them they say well what's wrong with you why didn't you do it 10 days ago yeah exactly so it's it's a hard win situation for your physician quite honestly it's for us it's psychologically easier to just fold and give antibiotics right. but it's not the right thing to do in most right. cases right. so you know if you have questions about it see your physician but you know don't hold a grudge against them if they don't think antibiotics are the right thing to do we're really trying to do what's best not only for the patient in front of us but for the community as a whole and it'll make a difference because people People, um, somehow these infections just override any mm. uh, medicine you can give them, and so mm. you have a problem in that way. Right? Yeah, and you know, we there's been a lot of news stories in the lay media over the last couple of years about you know I'll use quote marks which no one none of our listeners can see, but superbugs, and and the theory is that these superbugs, which are resistant to the vast majority of antibiotics that we do have come about because of all of the antibiotic exposure that we're putting out into the world and the community. And, and these bugs sort of have a chance to get a little bit of that and learn how to avoid it. Um, their, their DNA is smart, if, if that makes sense. And so um, those are the things that I think as a society we have to try to avoid.
Well, I think we're hopefully doing a good job. I believe the doctors in Brookings certainly are. They're very comfortable about it. Well, we had a question about saturated fats, and the caller would like to know if saturated fats really are all as bad as people say. Do they really raise your cholesterol and in blood level and is that a problem what do you think of that that is a way more complex question than i think this listener maybe even realizes so it's it's been confusing for all of us including patients different dietary recommendations that have sort of come out over the last 20 years they evolve the 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 cardiologists sort of we've changed our recommendations about cholesterol and all this stuff um, so saturated fats, in theory, are sort of worse for you and, and may lead to worsening vascular disease, etc. I would say what I say about everything that in that moderation is good because the what we have found also is that there was a real push for low fat diets for example maybe 10 years ago well when that's been studied it has not helped people lose weight or improve their heart health and may actually increase the rate of diabetes because if you lower your fat but keep your calories the same that just means you're taking in more carbs and sugar so really trying to have a balanced diet um, using that simple food pyramid and that kind of thing I think is is really the best way to look at this as a as opposed to really trying to avoid one single component like that just a well-balanced diet and as dr home would say make sure to add exercise to Mm -hmm. that program right absolutely (laughs) you'll feel better Mm -hmm. he is right what do you think about salt in your diet though yeah so so say americans overdo salt yeah true it is and and when i talk about salt with patients for whatever reason most of them say well i hardly ever add salt well quite honestly it doesn't matter if you ever eat fast food if you ever eat out if you ever use a can of soup to cook your meals there's just a ton of salt in everything that we buy at the grocery store etc so you kind of got to look at the labels um there are certain disease states so folks who have heart failure folks who have high blood pressure folks who have you know even kidney disease sometimes that we do make more strict salt recommendations and those folks really have to look at the labels and and count the milligrams of salt that they're ingesting every day Um, most of us who are healthy can our kidneys can kind of deal with the salt and get rid of the excess stuff Um, but certainly there is a ton of salt just in the american diet and and so it's there even if you don't think it's there and well that brings up the thought of gluten-free um i've mentioned on the program a few times to dr holm and to our listeners that i have a number of grandchildren now who have been diagnosed with celiac disease Mm. so the nicest thing about the grocery stores adding these huge gluten-free sections are for people who actually have gluten-free or actually have celiac disease Mm -hmm. however there are so many people who have gone gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just a fad? Do you think it really I, makes them feel better? What I do you think, think to it is? some degree there's a fad. This is a sort of another place. So you're right. Celiac disease is a true sort of immune problem in the gut that people are unable to digest gluten and it creates abnormalities and problems. And that's a different story. Um, I think the gluten-free to some degree is a fad. That's sort of another thing that is really impossible to separate from the placebo effect if someone says well i went gluten-free a month ago and now i feel a lot better it's really hard to know whether it was the gluten or sort of the attitude that changed your mindset exactly um so you know it it 
it's another thing that's it's really hard to get the good science in in the absence of true gluten allergy or celiac disease. Mm-hmm. But for those with celiac, they're very happy that yeah. it's become somewhat they of a fan. They got a lot more choice than they oh, used to. Oh, the choices to. just mm-hmm. weren't there 15 years ago, and they sure are now. Well, Dr. Evans, this has been thoroughly enjoyable for me. I've really enjoyed the program. Believe it or not, we're running out of time. But we hope everyone listening has enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. And remember, as always, you can visit Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org, where you may also learn more about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Also keep in mind, Kelly Evans will be on tomorrow night on South Dakota Public Television. If you're wondering what she looks like, you can hear her today and see her tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. They'll be, she will be discussing infectious diseases, common and unusual. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. And I do think tomorrow's show is going to be fantastic. So we hope you'll tune in. Thank you. And thanks all of you for listening. I'll close with Dr. Holmes' weekly reminder. Stay healthy out there, people.